Hey, everybody. Great to be with you. I hope you're all well. We're going to carry on with our series. Um, and this morning, we're going to look at getting serious about altars. Um, kind of carries on from where we um, started the series last week and we know where we looked at coming to Jesus and sticking with Jesus, even when it's difficult, even when there's challenges, even when we have maybe doubts or confusion or disappointment, actually that our our bottom line is established and re-established, um, that we are, you know, like those early disciples saying, Jesus, where else would we go? We're sticking with you. So we're going to look at altars this morning. And this is by no means an exhaustive, in-depth study of, you know, the practice and theology and symbolism of altars, but to kind of just Get us started. Um, if you look in the Old Testament, if you look through that narrative, um, there's, we see altars are often made by individuals. So before the tabernacle, before the temple, those places of corporate worship were established. Um, we see a number of individuals on multiple occasions um, building altars. We see, um, and for different reasons, um, f- sometimes for worship. You know, when you see when Noah comes out of the ark and he and his family have been saved, he builds an altar and he sacrifices and he worships God. Sometimes they're built to commemorate a specific meeting with God. We see this with Jacob. Um, he has this amazing encounter with God and, and he builds an altar as a place of remembrance to commemorate. Hey, I met with God here. I encountered God here. Um, sometimes it's in remembrance of something specific God did, a, play, a way that God intervened. So we see this Moses um, after there's a particular battle, you know, where Moses is praying and every time his arms are up, the Israelites are winning and he gets tired. And so his arms are held up for him. And after that battle, when the Israelites win, they build an altar to commemorate God coming in, God intervening and then, and then um, having a victory. And sometimes it's times where it's actually it's about you know reestablishing and reminding themselves of a covenant that they're making with God. So we see times when individuals build um, build altars. Later on, um, we see altars are built by the community for the community. So first in the tabernacle, which was the sort of the mobile house of prayer and worship. It was a big tent, essentially. Um, and then later on in the temple, the physical temple um, built by Solomon and then rebuilt by Herod later on. And, and in the tabernacle and the temple, we see two altars um, built. One was the um, altar of burnt offerings, which is where sacrifices were burnt. And you know the symbolism was, was that of reconciliation, of, of this place of mediation between sinful man and God. Um, and it was sort of, as the sacrifice was burnt and accepted, it symbolizes God's acceptance of people. And this kind of reminder, there's this covenant that God has made with them. The second altar was called the altar of incense. And, and every day, morning and evening, incense was burned. And, you know, the symbolism of incense is, is about intercession, is about prayer, is about worship going up to God. And, and every single day, incense was burned on this altar. And it was this altar that on the Day of Atonement, um, the, the blood was shed to atone for the sins of the people that year. So broadly speaking, again, this, that is a whistle-stop tour, pulling out a few things about altars. But essentially, when I've been looking at that and reading those things, it, for me, it feels like altars are, broadly speaking, we could sort of put them into to three key things that they're all about. They're about remembrance, right? And um, whether, you know, they're remembrance of this God meeting with us, times of encounter, times of acceptance by God, and times of his intervention, you know, times when he moved, intervened for his people. So firstly, they're about remembrance. They're absolutely about worship. You know, the altars are these focal points of thanksgiving, praise, prayer, devotion, adoration to God. They're, they're focal points of worship. Altars are about worship. And thirdly, altars are absolutely about sacrifice. The actual the language, the word that's used 
is, a, is about a place of sacrifice. And obviously, uh, under the old covenant, under that old style of worship, it was animal sacrifice. Um, so what about us? Here and now, right? That's what we're looking at this series. Here and now, what do we need to get serious about? Obviously, we don't have that <clears throat> form of, of worship anymore. And, and so while under the old covenant, there were physical altars with very physical engaging means of worship and sacrifice. For us, you know, we need to understand that actually altars are more now spiritual, but they, they haven't gone away. And this is, this is my point I want to get to. Altars still matter in the new covenant just as much as in the old. But, but under this new covenant, the, the altars are now spiritual. The temple is now spiritual. The temple is, Paul tells us, you and I, us as God's people, living stones built together to become this temple where God lives by his spirit. And so sacrifice now, it isn't, it's not animals or grain, or it's, it's us. Right? It's us and our whole lives. We are that sacrifice. Um, and I think there's something really important for us to pay attention. I want to read um, this quote from a, a blog actually by a pastor called Alan Scott, who um, did lead a church in Northern Ireland, um, now leads the Anaheim Vineyard over in California. And he says this, um, and he's speaking, he was, this was a few months ago, so kind of in the pandemic kind of context that we're living in. So he said this, there is something about this national moment, and I would extend that to us in the UK, this international moment that is resetting the altars of our lives. It feels poignant. Everything is stripped back. It's like a cleansing of the temple. God is resetting worship. He is restoring worship and reclaiming worship in this moment. And that, like, that really grabbed hold of me. I think that's something, I feel like that's something prophetic for us to hold on to. God is resetting altars. And we need to understand that actually there's the, there's the corporate altars, if you like, you know, in, in the temple, there were these, they were built by and for community for corporate worship, right? That is still important. That is still valuable. And I know it looks different, um, but, but that is still for us to pay attention to. But there is also the individual altar that I am building, that I am worshiping at, that the sacrifice I am making. Um, and I feel like there is this kind of, this charge, God is, he wants to reset those things. He wants to restore true worship, um, so altars still matter. And here's the thing. I think altars are still about remembrance. They're still about worship and they're absolutely still about sacrifice in this new covenant moment, right? It, it, there's still places for us as individuals and community. And, and, and in this moment, we don't have to wait for things to change. In this moment, I think we need to get really serious about altars, so what does that look like? That would be my question to us. Um, and I'm not going to bring all the answers to that, but, but to ask you and to kind of for you to process that with Holy Spirit, what does it look like for me to, to allow God to reset the altar of my life? What does it look like for God to restore and reclaim the worship and the sacrifice of my life? Because now as then, the sacrifice, surrender completely is like it was a critical part of worship under the old covenant. And we are kidding ourselves. We've missed it if we think under the new covenant that sacrifice is no longer part of worship. It is. It's still a critical part of worship. If you've got your Bibles, jump into um, Romans 12. Um, I just want to read the first couple of verses of that chapter. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. 
do such a rich, in just two verses, there's so much in it. But let me just draw out a couple of things. Um, you know, the, the challenge, the, the charge to worship and sacrifice is on the basis of in view of God's mercy, right? The only right response when we remember, when we see again, when we remind ourselves again of, of what God has done, you know, that, that he has allowed us to be restored into relationship, that we have met with God, we can continue to meet with God, that he has fully intervened in our lives. When we remember that in view of God's mercy, the only right response is worship. So, so this, this charge to worship and sacrifice is purely in response to what God's done. And because, you know, we need to be really clear, we are in a new covenant, okay? So the sacrifice that is required of us is not in order to meet with God. It's not in order to be reconciled with him. That has happened, right? Jesus was the one final perfect sacrifice that fully fulfilled that requirement, that has entirely mediated forever, our relationship and reconciled us back with God. And so we're not sacrificing um, in, all, in order to obtain something. We are sacrificing in response to what has already been done for us by another. It's not a requirement to obtain something. It is a response to what we have received, right? That's the new covenant. But that does not mean sacrifice isn't still important for us as God's people. Because um, this, this is what Paul says, you know, in view of God's um, mercy offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And, and again, he ties these two things, sacrifice and worship. We can't separate them out. Is We are to offer ourselves as sacrifice. And he's saying, listen, this is true and proper worship. True and proper worship is not singing songs on a Sunday morning. True and proper worship is the whole of my life, surrendered, sacrificed, given over to God on an altar. It's still sacrifice. It's still worship. And we need to, we need to understand those things. So, so we need to, you know, in our understanding of the altars of our lives, it's absolutely about remembrance. It's absolutely about a meeting place, encountering God. It's absolutely about God on, intervening on our behalf. But, you know, we need to have as high a value for sacrifice, worship that costs as we do encounter and meeting and remembering what God's done. I feel like you know part of this resetting of the altars is this, is us to take seriously the call to sacrifice, which is uncomfortable, which is costly. We need to get serious about that. And so, you know, what what does that look like? Right, sacrifice isn't isn't like it was under the old covenant, but it, it is. It's the whole of our lives. So it's this understanding that it's you know it's my time, it's my job, it's my money, it's my family, my friendships, my relationships, it's my social life, it's my free time, it's my hobbies, it's my skills, my gifts, my passions, my opinions. It's it's everything. All of that, all of me, is placed on an altar before God. You know, they, they're not, those cannot be, those things are things we offer in worship. They can't be the altars that we worship at. And we need to be really aware. It, it, like we can build false altars. We can worship the wrong things, whether that is money, whether it is relationships, whether it is our job, our career, something we're particularly good at. Those things can sneak in and take the place of true and proper worship. But what Paul is saying is, listen, offer yourself, all of you, offer that in worship to God. Um, so that that's the deal. Those things, none of those things are altars we worship at. They are all things that we sacrifice and surrender. All of those things, all of the time. Because we need to recognize this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 says this. Do you not know? 
that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Right? So it's temple language again. It's us now. It's spiritual temples. It's us, God in us. But then he says this, you are not your own. You were brought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now this is, I love, like I love this verse. It's a really challenging verse. And I know I've had conversations with people kind of in a understanding like this new day we live in and this kind of revelation that the churches we're getting over the last probably couple of decades of actually we're sons and daughters. We have an inheritance. We're, we're loved, you know, and really rightly we have been warring against a poverty mindset, a poverty spirit, which is like, I'm no big deal. I'm not important. I don't matter. And like, and that's not the gospel. That's not the kingdom. And, and listen, we are right to say, no, we, like we need to kick against that poverty mindset. But, but in doing that, you need to be really careful. We don't throw away or stop focusing on some challenging things of the gospel, which is this, um, my life is not my own, right? And, and sometimes we can think, well, well that's, you know, that, that kicks, like, is that kind of tippling into, you know, a poverty mindset, you know, and that is, like, it's very countercultural, like it doesn't fit with our cultural moment that, you know, I am not my own. I am not the center of the universe. I am not that big a deal. But listen, that is the gospel, right? And, and, and again, I, I want to, I think this verse actually helps us. Um, that absolutely, we don't need to go anywhere near a poverty mindset. We need to absolutely war against that. Um, but, but, and actually, this verse affirms that when it says, you were brought at a price, you know, the price that we were brought, what, what something costs is an indication of its value, right? So something that doesn't cost very much is less valuable. So actually, this affirms your value and mine. We were brought with a price, the very highest price, the only begotten son of God. That was the price that was paid for you and I. So that tells us we're valuable, incredibly valuable, incredibly significant. We absolutely have purpose and influence. We matter to God. We are significant on the planet. We're valuable. So this verse, like it's, it's nothing to do with a poverty mindset. Actually, it's quite the reverse. It affirms. It doesn't diminish our value. It clarifies that. It affirms our value and, and clarifies our purpose. But we have to understand that that incredible value, the, the value of my life actually is all to be offered in worship and in sacrifice. So as, and this is the thing, as much as I am an heir, as much as I am a son of God, as much as we have an incredible, rich inheritance, and we do, um, we also need to understand that we're not our own. You know, in the new covenant, you know, Paul talks about us being slaves we're slaves as much as sons. We're not slaves to sin, but we need to, we need to hold these two things somewhat in tension and not, I suppose, throw the baby out with the bathwater, if that makes sense. We have to keep hold of both of those things. Actually, the incredible value of my life, but the fact that it does not belong to me. I am not my own, but I was bought with a price. I'm valuable, but it's not all for me, right? And, and I think actually resetting the altars of our life is really critical in in muddling through this tension in holding on to these two things, right? I'm valuable, but I'm not my own. Um, because altars as places of meeting with God, places of remembrance, of encounter, remind us of our value. They remind us and reaffirm who we are and what God spent in order to get us back, right? So altars as meeting places and, and remembrance, it reaffirms our value. 
But altars still being places of sacrifice, of worship, actually reminds us that my life isn't my own. My life is to be poured out as an offering to him. My life is to be spent on behalf of the least and the lost and the lonely. So if we have our altars in place, it will really help us with that dynamic. And, you know, this, listen, folks, this is the gospel. And the gospel is the announcement of good news. It is good news that I am not my own. It is good news that I've been brought. Both of those things are good news, that I've been brought with a price. That is good news. My life is not my own. That is good news. That is the gospel. And listen, that is entirely countercultural. The, the gospel, the good news always has been and always will. And, and it's, I think it's sharply in focus just how counterculture is right now. But we need to take the gospel seriously, the good news of the gospel and the call of the gospel. We need to take that seriously because um, this sacrifice of our lives, which is what Paul says is true and proper worship, is all of me for all of him and for his kingdom, right? That sacrifice of myself, that abs- that establishment of I am not my own, my time, my money, my interest, my, it's not, I am not my own. That is incredibly countercultural to what, honestly, we have a very self-centered culture, right? Our, our postmodern, post-Christian culture, really, that says, champions the self. And listen, there's some good stuff in it in terms of actually, you know, people not being kind of shamed and actually people recognizing they're valuable, they matter, they can influence. There's some, there's some good stuff in it, but I can't help feeling it's missing it somewhat because essentially what we see is that, you know, this, there's a gospel of self that is culturally acceptable where I am the star of the show. I am my own final authority in my own cosmic drama and I get to self-determine. I get to reject external authorities and boundaries and limitations. Like you are enough. Like we have that narrative, right? Where we value self-promotion, self-determination, self-protection, self-justification. I am who I say I am, right? I do what I feel like doing. I'm worth it. I'm enough, Right? It's itself, and what the gospel call is 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 you you sacrifice self, right? We are the gospel is has always been countercultural and absolutely no less so in our day. So with all of that, you know, one of the questions we love to ask ourselves is, you know, okay, we can see this stuff in the Bible, we can kind of find these verses. So what? Now what? Right? Really important questions. What do we do with that here and now? I think there's two things. I think it's about returning and I think it's about rebuilding. If you look in, in Israel's history, if you look through um, the, in the Old Testament, the lessons from Israel's history, particularly with this concept of, of their altars, and which was about the focal point of their worship and sacrifice, you see them continually go in these cycles of, of, of meeting with God, of, you know, committing to God, of building an altar and worshiping God, and then, and then things slide, right? They begin to let other cultures or other influences affect them, that they, they, they start to worship other gods. They build altars to other gods. And you see this cycle, particularly if you look through books of Judges and Kings, that there's, there's sort of cycles, um, and, but then they have these times of returning. So Josiah is a really good example in the Old Covenant of, of a king who, where they saw revival in his day. And, and one of the main things that he did was he tore down the high places. He tore down the altars to false gods um, and they returned to God. 
and to, to rebuild an altar to God and to restore true and proper worship, which is to God and only to God, right? So you see this cycle all the time. Listen, it, the same is true for us, like, and which is why, you know, when we started last week, this, you know, the, the bottom line of Jesus, where else am I going to go? That continually coming back to Jesus, it needs to be a continual thing, right? And so I think we need to get serious about returning to God. Actually, we need to get serious about that process of repentance where actually we've been worshipping other things. We haven't been sacrificing the whole of our lives. We've been saying, actually, my life is my own and I can do absolutely what I want with it. Where we've, like, that is, that is idolatry. Where, where our altars need resetting. We need, we need to be serious about that process of, of repentance, of returning to God and rebuilding the altars and restoring proper worship. Right, so we so we need to. I would encourage you actually to kind of take some time with Holy Spirit. Say, actually, are there are there places in my life where I need to return, where I need to return to you, God, and I need to restore proper worship, where I, there's things that I actually need to sacrifice, and um, that I need to give to you, that I need to trust over to you. Actually, is there is there some stuff? And this this process of you know, rebuilding often starts with some tearing down. Is there some false altars I need to tear down in order for a true altar to be rebuilt? And, and that rebuilding, that rebuilding of, of an altar of worship and focus and sacrifice only to God, like that needs to be the first thing we do. If you read in the book of Ezra, um, which is um, historically that Israel is very, very quick history, you know, at their continual disobedience um, to God results in them being um, defeated by and, and taken into exile by Babylon. And they're, and they're there for an entire generation, sort of 70 years in exile and, and Jerusalem is left sort of abandoned. And they, but they, there's this decree that comes from the King Cyrus um, who says, hey, you can go back. Um, and it's really interesting that as they go back, you read in Ezra chapter three, um, the first thing they did when they came back, the very first thing they did was they rebuilt the altar. It doesn't talk about doesn't it talk about rebuilding the walls. That happened actually ninety odd years later. Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem. And they didn't build their homes. They didn't they didn't even build the temple as a gathering place. The first thing they rebuilt was the altar and they restored worship. And listen, it wasn't necessarily obvious. It wasn't necessarily convenient. It actually says in, I think, verse 11, um, it says that they rebuilt the altar. The first thing they did on the coming back from exile, and it says, despite their fear of the people around them, right? It, so it wasn't necessarily easy or expected or culturally normal, whether their fear was, you know, for physically, whether their fear was, you know, to be mocked, whatever that was. Like it wasn't convenient or obvious or necessarily logical, but there's this this moment in their history where they're like, actually, we're coming back, we are we are returning, and the first thing we're going to do is rebuild the altar. And listen, I think that that is a challenge to us. Actually, it, we need to have first things first. Actually, that the the first thing in my life is Jesus. The, the, it is. It's him front and center. It's him only. And, and the altar it is for him. Right. And, and the other things came later. Like you see that it kind of through the story. They did rebuild the temple and they, they did restore the walls and, and all that stuff happened. But, but the altar was rebuilt first and worship was established first. And that, listen, that is still the same today. Like that is still the right order that worship is first. 
right? And, and so my encouragement, my challenge to us is actually to go on that journey and, and to allow Holy Spirit to talk to you about the resetting of the altars of your life, understanding it's still about remembrance. It's still in view of God's unbelievable mercy, remembering what he's done for us, that we worship and understanding that sacrifice is still a critical part of worship. It is offering the whole of our lives. That is true and proper worship. And we don't need to wait for any other time, for any restrictions to change. We don't need to wait a moment longer. Right here, right now, we can commit to do that. That recognition again, Jesus, I was brought with the highest price and my life is not my own. And where I've, where I've taken it as my own, where I've lived it as my own, we repent and we return to God and we rebuild that altar. So why don't we pray? Let's take a moment. And listen, I, I, I'm so aware, you know, even when we can gather physically, these sort of things don't get worked out in a moment. Like I think we can, there's those moments we can return to God and we can do business with him, but that needs to get worked out in pro. So I want to encourage you, take time to talk to God about it this week. And more importantly, take time to listen to God about this this week. What does that look like? What is the restoring of true and proper worship, sacrificing your whole life? What does that need to look like for you right here, right now? So I want to pray for us. Jesus, we look again at you. We always want to fix our eyes on you, God, and we want to keep absolutely in view your incredible mercy, your grace, your goodness, your patience, your kindness, your faithfulness towards us. Jesus, we recognize that um, we were brought at the very highest price. Jesus, you paid for our lives. And so, Jesus, now it is, our, it is our joy to worship you. It is our delight to say, my life is not my own. So would you help us? Holy Spirit, we invite you um, to speak to us, to walk with us, to challenge us, to change us. We want to embrace your invitation. God, we, want to, we really want to embrace and partner what you're doing in our lives individually and in the life of your church, your body around the world. Jesus, come and reset the altars of our lives. Come and restore true and proper worship. Come and enable us to sacrifice, to give the whole of our lives, all of me, for all of your kingdom. So walk with us in that. And Jesus, that we say that we love you. We worship you. We trust you. And we ask that you would be with us in this journey. And in all of it, God, in we just say that you're worth it. You are so worth it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.